0: Welcome to The Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm from a company called B Squared and I am the host of The Sendcast, the podcast for special educational needs. Each week, we talk about a different topic in the world of special educational needs to help improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode, we have two guests, Carol Allen and John Galloway, both highly experienced advisors and educators. This week, we're talking about broad and balanced curriculums. We talk about how important they are We also talk about the pressures that schools face that mean the broad and balance can be squeezed out. But before we get started, do you know what we do here at B Squared? We create assessment products to help show small steps of progress for pupils of all ages and abilities. B Squared was started around 25 years ago by my mum. She always struggled to show progress for pupils with special needs, so she created something that would keep her going until someone else made something better. 25 years later, she is still waiting. One of the ways we support schools is by launching the Virtual Send Conference in 2019. It is a way to make CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. You can access it as a conference over the internet or on demand. It is all about supporting pupils with SEND. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase Access. If you are a parent, we also have launched Parent Talks so that you can access support and advice in the same way. Now on with the podcast. This week's episode is looking at what has happened to broad and balanced in curriculum provision today, and what are the implications for learners with SEND. I'm here with Carol Allen and John Galloway. Carol is an education advisor for ICT and inclusion, in particular sports in the London Grid for Learning. She was named as one of the top 10 educators for 2018 in the field of educational technology. This was down to all her amazing work on inclusion. John is a specialist in use of technology to improve educational opportunities for children and young people with special educational needs. He spends the majority of his time working with Tower Hamlet's local authority, but he also spends a lot of time working as a writer, consultant and trainer. Welcome to the show, Carol and John. Thank you. Thank Dale. you. Yep. Thank you,
1: Dale. Lovely to be here again.
0: Yeah, Excellent. absolutely. Always a pleasure having you two on. So the curriculum schools is supposed to be broad and balanced, but it often isn't. Schools are sometimes only focusing on areas they are held to account for. And one thing that's really bugged me over the last few years is the four broad areas of need and the lack of focus on these areas in schools in a number of ways, even though they are so important for those children. We're going to come back to that later, but let's start at the beginning with children being entitled to a broad and balanced curriculum. Where is it going wrong? Do you
1: want me to go first, or are you, John?
2: Yeah, I'm happy for you too.
1: I thought you might be. I'm going to go back a step. And first of all, I'm going to, for those of you youngsters out there who don't remember that joyful day when the national curriculum was brought in and I sat in a staff meeting in an SLD school, SLD-PMLD school, as a, a teacher. And my head brought in the national curriculum and shared the documents with us. And we looked through with complete dismay because, of course, they didn't relate to the students that were in our classes. And the lowest, lowest level of national curriculum standard, whatever you wanted to call it, not a single child. In fact, I think there was one child in the school who would have come near you know uh, it was it was really the horror of being told something was a national curriculum to me the word national means everybody and it and it didn't and obviously as you know from then people uh, educators got together in the SEND world and they created a, a sub curriculum if you want to call it that the, that went below and brought you up to that level so that our children felt that they were part of that continuum Now, that all sounds very negative, but there was one huge positive. And to understand that, I have to tell you what it was like at the time. A lot of special schools didn't offer, uh, for example, literacy to children who were perfectly capable of doing some literacy and perfectly capable of achieving or number work. or A lot of special schools at that time had a very dumbed down curriculum. It was named things like experiential, which is correct, but it didn't challenge, it didn't give width, it didn't allow them. You know, you could have somebody, for example, science. A lot of our students were really interested in science and we would do things like the weather every day as a daily thing. Is it raining? Is it sunny? And what would we wear for? But we never really considered the nature of weather and the scientific aspects around the things that impacted their life. So I'm going to start from a positive that actually it made a lot of us wake up and say, you know what, we are doing our students a disservice. They need access to a broad and balanced curriculum. However, it, it has developed from there, and as Dale mentioned, in various places there are there's been a narrowing of what's offered. And and he's right. It's based on what people are judged on what the SATs and the GCSEs and the A-levels are linked to, what accountability measures It's linked to league tables, it's linked to performance management. There are teachers who are in big trouble if their exam year class doesn't achieve a particular level or number of levels. And it's become an accountability thing. And inevitably, then, we get the situation where people teach to the test. It's a well-known fact that in a lot of primary schools, year six from january onwards those kids go for do sats practice there's no broadened balance there's you, now this isn't every school so if you're a school out there going actually we've got a balanced approach we hang in there we still do creative art we make time for this we do it. good on you because you're doing it the right way but i have to say both john and i go into school after school after school and we are seeing the the scenario i've just given you yeah. i understand why it's the external pressure but you have to question is it good for our students and is this what education should look like because i don't think so yeah i'm
2: going to start by defending the national curriculum 1988 education reform act the intention that national curriculum introduced an entitlement to children to a certain standard of education and it was and is that word of entitlement that is important because until that point, basically, they got what was ever given to them. Now, in a lot of instances, schools were doing very good stuff. And, and what they were getting was a good education. But it was it was patchy across the country. By creating the national curriculum and by creating, creating enti- including entitlement in the Education Reform Act of that year, it meant that there was something that, that pupils had a right to. The Curriculum itself, I forget, I think it was 12 or 13 subjects. And actually, the curriculums that were written were seldom more than two pages of A4 per key stage. And they were written in such a way that there was a good range of knowledge and skills and understanding in them. And they weren't prescriptive in how the, they were meant to be developed, de- delivered. And nor was there particularly any sort of hierarchy in what was important. And so there was a sense of a broad and balanced curriculum, and that history and music were were similarly important. But then a couple of things happened in 1992. Ofsted were formed, and uh, we began to have to find ways of determining whether schools were doing a good job or not. And one of the things that uh, was going to determine that was data. And so the data we could use would therefore be the outcomes. We then had in 1990 the national strategies and the national strategies whilst they did work across the whole curriculum they focused initially on the literacy strategy and the numeracy strategy and the emphasis was improvement in those two areas now certainly those two subjects are service subjects for every other subject but you could as equally suggest that ict is a service subject to every other subject and what we got there and, and in part the National Strategies were a teacher training program. There was concern at the time that the people coming into the profession were, well, they could have had a higher standard of graduate coming in. Whether that's fair or not, I don't know. And there's plenty of teachers who were in the profession, like me, prior to that date, who would argue with that. However, so the curriculum began to become focused on numeracy and literacy. And with Ofsted in place, what can you count? What's that bottom line? And we began to lose that sense of that broad and balanced to these things are more important than other things. You know, I'd like to go back to that broad and balanced because I do think education should be about producing whole, complete, rounded human beings. And as people... We, we, we have many different aspects. We do have a musical aspect. We have a, a physical aspect. We have uh, an engineering, a problem-solving aspect. And we need to give opportunities for all those to grow and develop because they feed onto each other. If you're, say, doing poetry in English there's something about the rhythm, the music of a poem that would also resonate with somebody who, who is musical, who would hear it in a more musical way than others. So, and, and there are others, like, for instance, you know, mathematicians talk about uh, how there's a close association between maths and music. So if we're only teaching maths and we're not teaching music, we are losing something in the personal development of that child or, or those children. And given that so many of us in education and so many schools in their mission statements talk about uh, rounded pupils and completely fulfilled pupils, well, they're not, because we're feeding them a very narrow diet. And it's for many of them not a diet that they particularly enjoy either and you know school would become more palatable for many of them if it was interspersed with bursts of things that they feel that they thoroughly enjoy things that they are able to excel at things reasons to turn up for some of them yeah and by narrowing the curriculum we narrow those opportunities and we we don't recognize the the potential in every way of every child and yeah, I, we we are just missing something, and I'd, and I'd also, you know, I I I would take uh, issue with in that narrower curriculum with literacy and numeracy, just what is deemed important in there, you know, we. Yeah, the the level to which, for instance, you're expected to achieve in mathematics. Mathematics is very important; it underpins so much and so much of what you would do as you go on into you know higher level studies. But at the same time, if you can read a bus table, timetable, tell the time, work out the change from your shopping, determine whether you've paid enough tax on your payslip, able to calculate the amount of wallpaper needed to decorate, you know, I I do question whether our expectations of the levels meant to be achieved in numeracy, for a start, are unrealistic or actually in excess of what's necessary for functioning. And in literacy, things like the the, the great literature we're meant to have read, well, you know, people like Jacqueline Wilson aren't there, David Walliams isn't there. Yeah, and yet these are the people that uh, children and young people reach for. So, Let's go for, for that rather than, say, Dickens and Jane Austen. And let's, let's let them find Dickens and Jane Austen for themselves while we let them explore and understand and appreciate literature and creativity for their own purposes.
0: So I'm just going to touch on that national curriculum. So Carol, you started saying it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. John, you defended it. Now, when I think of my journey with national curriculum is I remember my mum bringing those folders home <laughs> the big national curriculum folders. I was in primary school at that time. <laughs> so in 1988, when that, when that national curriculum came out, I was in primary school. And when we think about, and you touched on, Carol, that curriculum, and we think of the P scales. Yeah. The first draft of the P scales, the first version that was published by the DFE was in 99. They came in. Mm that took 11 years by that point if i was at university i would have been in my second year at university at that point and i've gone from primary school to second year of university before those p levels were introduced and even then that was english maths and psd the full subjects to to really sort of push that sort of thing that came in in 2001 so i, I still i think this with the Roch review and the removal of levels and all that sort of stuff is we're still yes, the special needs and the, the, the leveling and the assessment and all that lot is still we're years and years behind the all national curriculum we're still in that situation and i think i think the low point is probably in terms of it is like 2007 2008 we had numeracy in the literacy strategies where it was more or less teach everyone taught the same lesson on tuesday so I think we've gone down, as you said. It from the 90s. coming in in '93. I was in the year nine SATs. Ended up being boycotted that year, the first year they came in. And I look at all that saying. And I think we slowly we went downhill. It was getting worse and worse. Probably 2008, 2010 was when it was probably the low point. And I think we have been getting better, but I think that accountability that people use, the Ofsted, that, that we use, simple accountability. Yeah, reading, easy to assess and test. Writing, easy to assess and test. Spoken language, which is the precursor to both of those, that actually takes a lot of time to be able to assess and test, which is probably why we don't do it. We focus on the reading and the writing rather than actually looking at spoken language for some of your children is a big barrier. Um, The other thing, just to touch on what you said, John, is those school values. Mm -hmm. we help all children succeed. There should always be a big asterisk in there, which is something a lot of lines within the realms of accountability we are judged by. Because it is always, they say these amazing things, but generally when you get the accountability in, it never is what they say. Generally in most schools, it just gets narrowed down and reduced, which is always quite sad.
1: Can I add another layer to that? That the students with SEND have an even narrower curriculum offering sometimes. Yep. Because of the need to do intervention programs or catch-up programs or whatever we want to call it, it's obviously illogical if somebody's struggling with reading to take them out of the English lesson, the literacy lesson, isn't it? Because uh, although some people do it because by the time they if 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 the teacher starts a lesson for an hour and they go out for 15 minutes in the middle to do uh, some kind of intervention and then come back in they're even further behind because they've they've missed the bit in the middle you know i mean but i know that happens but the alternative is that a lot of the time they miss other broader lessons that they might like so uh, a judgment is made that they don't need to do so much art or they don't need to they can miss this bit of pe and pe might be their skill set you know i mean it it, it or, or art might be their skill set or geography might it doesn't matter when you start taking children out if you have a model which is intervention based rather than in class based for the support these children get a smaller offering and the accountability and the assessment of interventions is an interesting one because some people do that very, very well. But again, I see sometimes it's not very clear and evidence tells us that it's not very clear that sometimes they go off to do interventions and nobody has a kind of, right, we're going to do an assessment at the beginning and we'll give eight weeks and then we'll see where they've got to. And is that working? If it's not working, do we just do it again or do we change our focus? So there are so many ways that our students can end up with an even more restricted you know offering in school and the misery some students will tell me you know 12 year olds particularly 12 is a good age to get this kind of response and they'll say but i've been reading that level of book for years I'm on blue level or I'm on this and I, I can't get up. And you, and you say, right, okay, so let's find some more books. Let's find some different books and we'll read together and we'll find a way. And you read the bits you can do. All the different creative ways of doing shared reading. They they just don't get the opportunity. They revisit stuff until they've supposedly got it.
0: I think, I think um, I've done various podcasts and it is, you've got to start with quality first teaching. Yeah. And then oh, yes. when you're doing those interventions, this is another reason to not take them out of English because, one hand, in English you've got to get you're behind. But if you then do it some other time, you then need a time to put what you're doing in as interventions into practice.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So it's it's having the intervention, but then making people aware of what that intervention is, so they can give opportunities to that to be yeah. practiced. And I think it, that that taking them out of lessons is a real, I think, a real challenge. Which lessons you take them out of, and I think what you should do is what you're saying, Carol, is. Is if PE is their favourite and they love PE, don't take them out of it. Don't PE. take them out
1: of it. No. It's crackers. If they hate
0: music, they never enjoy music, take them out of music. But for the next child it could be completely different.
2: Yeah, but the problem is they might hate uh, English. They might hate yes. reading. And, well, yeah. well actually, it's most likely that they have come to hate reading.
1: Yes. 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 yes.
2: yes. Yeah. They
0: hate they hate how it makes them feel.
2: Yeah, I I just wanted to mention something else about accountability just before we lose sight of it altogether. And that's actually that there have been other ideas used over time. And one was Every Child Matters. Yeah. And Every Child Matters, where a school was assessed by Ofsted on how it supported the whole child, was an excellent thing. And yet, you know, I I think one of the challenges was just how do you quite measure that? But they did. Try to make an assessment about how well a school supported the whole child. And the other one was uh, for a while we had an IT system called Raise Online. And Raise Online was about looking at each child's performance throughout their school career at a very granular level and taking into all sorts of factors, like, for instance, the, the transitory nature of their school career, whether they kept changing schools, whether they were looked after, whether uh-huh. they, English was an additional language, all those kinds of things. And so there have been attempts to move beyond the simple, rather sparse assessments that I think we currently make, some t- 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 attempts to be much more nuanced. But I don't think that those ideas fit into, well, you know, the the... the Ideological orthodoxy with which we have to
0: deal now. I think Mm. it's it's so open to interpretation. So therefore, you can't write an ofsted inspection handbook with a very nuanced approach because everyone will interpret differently. They need something. This is the problem. They need if they're doing it that way, they've got like a test score. You do a test on this, and there's a test. There's a result. Mm. It's 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 easier. It's quicker.
1: Mm. Yeah. It's
0: it's one of those things. That's what I've realised. It's down to is it's that. It's much quicker to have something concrete, hold into account on that concrete thing. If you've missed it, bad. If you've done it, great. Mm. But it's never going to work for all children. Yeah. That's the problem with
1: it. Yeah. Mm. I want to um, just, just talk about, because I sounded very down on interventions, but I'm going to give you an example of two that can work very well if they're done properly. And they're both in the field of reading and literacy and dyslexia. So I'm going to talk about Nessie and Lexia itself, both online products. And they're regularly used. They're used by lots of schools in this country and elsewhere. But if I've been doing delivering training on how to set up either of these products within a school, I spend a lot of time talking about the system that you set up and the management and how it works. And if I come in late to a school and they've got one of the products and I ask how to use it, nine times out of 10, they haven't discovered the subtext behind both of those resources have a lovely assessment system. And behind the scenes, there's an assessment system. So if we take Nessie, for example, those of you who know it, it's got a series of islands and the child will progress on the islands. You set how many minutes a day they're on. The ideal is to do about seven to 10 minutes a day. But if you don't look at the assessment that's going on behind, Nessie has worksheets. It has intervention games. It has flashcards. It has interactive games. It has you know, call and response, it has just a plethora of resources. So that if that child is hitting a problem on one of the, you know, islands on one of the levels that they've reached, there's a whole kit bag of resources behind it. So one can use Nessie, say, right, okay, we've got a problem here. And they, it provides all the teaching behind it. The number of people who don't realize that is there. Equally with Lexia, Lexia child goes on, And you can have a printout for the day, for the week, for the month of exactly where their key issues are. Now, this time, there's not a set of results or there weren't last time I did it. Maybe they have it now. But what you can do or what you should be doing is then going back to their their class teacher, if you're not the class teacher doing it and saying, right, these are the things that are holding that child back. They need to understand, for example, these graphemes and and that you're giving the chance for the teacher then to incorporate maybe those those things into next week's spelling words or into, into an exercise they're doing. So you're teaching, the intervention becomes embedded in the teaching and you're using these tools correctly. If you think that taking a child out and doing 10 minutes, even if you manage 10 minutes a day, schools will say, oh, we're managing 10 minutes a day. But unless it is embedded in the teaching and learning of the wider system then it's just 10 minutes a day playing this and i'm going to say it playing little games and i don't mean that dismissive because both of those products are incredibly impressive if used properly so interventions can be amazing done well
2: yeah and there are plenty of examples of pupils i'm thinking of some very good online resources let's say we're thinking about spelling and kids who can be 100% accurate when they're spelling in front of a computer screen on a particular activity who then aren't able to then generalize that across into their books when they're you know using pencil and paper and it's exactly what carol's saying it's because those activities are separated out from what's happening in the classroom and you know you need to be making those connections so that, uh, that there there is that understanding that I do this here because this then uh, is what I do over here yeah.
1: yeah. Money. Money is a really good example uh, for, for a lot of our mm. students who have to learn coins. Mm. There are loads of fabulous, really engaging interactive games where there are little interactive shops and you're told to pick three items. And then there's images of coins and you put the right coins in the purse and you go got the checkout, blah, blah, blah. That's lovely. But if the child cannot take real cash, To a real shop or a debit card I don't mind how they do it but understanding the the exchange of money and value of money then why are we spending these hours doing these exercises I I just don't get it so I'm all for interventions but they must be embedded in the teaching and learning of that child's class group They, they have to be part of it not extra
0: it has to be really thought out yeah mm-hmm. what what are we aiming for what are the outcomes yeah. where are they now where do we want them to be and sometimes with interventions sometimes you are looking for sometimes it is an academic intervention so you're looking for an improvement in their academic sometimes it is maybe so you think about lego therapy and that sort of stuff yeah. is you're looking for changes in other ways but you should still have an outcome you're looking for and it could be they talk more in class it could be that the, we, get be, we get feedback from parents that they're, more, more, they're discussing more at home. But you should have something you're aiming for, almost like success criteria, mm-hmm. whatever intervention you're doing. Because, and a time, as you said, Carol, a time scale.
1: Yeah. So
0: if you're doing this for eight weeks and it's going nowhere, you need to try something else. Yeah. 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 The other thing is, don't just go, I need a literacy intervention and someone suggests it, and grab that. You've got to, within literacy, what area is it? Within maths, what area is it? What is it they're struggling with? And really pin down and then use that information to find that intervention that will support that child.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's also trying to see outside of that. Certainly the, the intervention has this aim. But is there anything else that's been achieved? I remember working with a, a small group of kids. And one of the improvements, it was um, maths. It was year nine maths. And one of the improvements was a kid who made eye contact who didn't usually. And, yeah, we went from no eye contact to beginning to count the eye contact during those sessions over a term to actually it wasn't an issue. But it it was significant for him and his relationships, you know, in class and in school and with adults. And it was important, I think, to recognize that beyond simply the improvements in maths that he'd made.
0: Yes. I think it is, it's important. It is it, interventions can carry, cover a, a range of areas, a range of skills, mm. and a range of benefits. And yeah, it's it's not always looking for a quantifiable twenty yeah. percent improvement in their math score. We've developed them yeah. three months. Yeah. It's yeah. actually uh, their relationships are improving. Class, it's, that is a big change mm. Mm. and self-esteem.
2: Uh, yeah, that they feel better about themselves. That they've achieved. That they are more confident and comfortable. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. So there's there's lots around that. So yeah, interventions. I think you could do. We could. I think we are planning to do a whole podcast just around interventions and that, because that that topic is huge. Mm. There are some schools doing it really well. Some schools doing it because they've got to do interventions, but not really thinking about what the aim is, why to, why they're doing it, or the benefits, or even the hope. They're just doing interventions because someone told them they should do interventions. So. Yeah.
1: But they can be really powerful. So it's, 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 yeah. that's, that's why, I, I mean, I sounded very negative, and I'm not negative. I'm, I'm negative when things are done badly. Done well, you know, for a short period of time, they, they absolutely make a, a huge difference to some students. So if we're talking broad and balanced and we're talking interventions, if they are time limited, if they're delivered effectively, if they're embedded in the journey of that subject, with the rest of the class if they Mm -hmm. are you know if they're assessed if they're reported on and if they're not taking away from something that is important for the child either personally or educationally then I'm all for it it's when it's when it falls down on on one or more of those factors which it can do that I'm not sure and and so we come back to broad and balanced what's broad and balanced and um you, you know John made the point about engagement well you know, in our four in our four areas of need that we're supposed to be covering, you know, uh, SEMH well-being engagement is one of the four. And if you've got somebody who is disengaging, then we are instructed to be remedying and looking. That's one of the four areas we're supposed to be looking at, aren't we?
0: And that, that's one thing I think people forget. So I, I some, I've, I've been to schools, and this isn't. Just mainstream, I think I've been to a couple of special schools where the EHCP is kind of a once a year thing. They have a review, they set the targets, and then later, a year later they look, have we met them?' there's not, not actually what are their targets, how are we going to deliver this this year, and actually thinking about, okay, in that time in each, each week, in that time in that school in this year, when are we do we have to explicitly make time for these areas? Or can we, are we working on this within the lessons? Because that could be different for every child, especially when you've got external professionals coming in. There is going to be that explicit provision where you're providing specific. But it's that broad and balanced and that personalized learning. As you said, Carol, what is right for that? individual yeah
1: i have to say i've had a, i've had a really heartening weekend we often talk about what's wrong with education but i've spent the whole of this last weekend working with practitioners predominantly from the uk but also from new zealand australia and uh, and elsewhere in an online sensory conference and we were talking about sensory education and what the feature and not just sensory profound multiple complex learning difficulties what how sensory education is in science how sensory education is in art how sensory education is in outdoor learning what sensory looks like in music etc cetera, etc cetera. so the, the the kind of wide range and do you know what without exception there were over 500 people signed up for this and all the discussions were exactly what we are wanting to hear so there are lots of professionals out there who are saying how do we do this how do we incorporate against the targets we have to do how do we in- incorporate that bigger picture that more holistic picture of the child and what they need to do and they were coming up together creatively with fabulous ideas but of course it all comes back again to senior management the senior management giving the go-ahead for you know, the frame of reference, doesn't
2: it? I think also it's it's about what we understand as curriculum. So we started this discussion talking about the national curriculum. And the national curriculum is a, a set number of subjects and the course content for those subjects. But actually, curriculum is much broader than that. It is, from Ofsted's perspective, is actually what everything that happens throughout that time in the school. And if we begin to think about the four areas of need, we're not necessarily thinking about uh, an academic curriculum. We can be thinking about a personal development curriculum. And, uh, you yeah, know, I was struck by sensory learning, I think, is a good example, because I think you can have sensory in the curriculum. So we teach through multiple channels, but you can also have sensory as the curriculum. Uh-huh. where you are teaching children that these are your senses and these are how they help you to make sense of the world and understand the world and and work within this world so yeah curriculum is much broader than simply that though those that set group of subjects but again i i think there are times when we lose sight of that and we lose sight of well, self esteem collaboration you know what we sometimes refer to as soft skills and partly i think that's because in part because i think they are harder to measure and i think that we we have come to a situation where we tend to value what we measure rather than measure what we value so if we can if we can come to a number then that's something important in our understanding and in our evaluation. And if we can't come to a number, then it's something we put to one side. And yet when you talk to parents about, you know, is that a good school? They'll say, yes, that's a good school. And academic output is seldom one of the things that they put first. You know, it might be, I think it's something that estate agents appreciate. But I think parents like a a, a school where kids feel comfortable, where kids are appreciated, where teachers know them, and teachers uh, work in their best interests, and the kid feels happy and comfortable, and that school is part of the local community, and the local community appreciate it. So it's far more than simply the, those, you know, bottom lines, the the, the bottom of the kind of a spreadsheet. And yet, well, for all sorts of reasons, I feel those are the things that are often put aside. And you know, bringing it back to broad and balanced curriculum, also that sense of what curriculum. Itself means and what we might be expecting from schools in that respect.
1: One secondary school I visited, and and, you know, when you go and visit a school, you kind of check in at the office, and then you often have to wait to be collected by whoever you're there to meet. But they had the most phenomenal display in the waiting area. Not of ex students who've gone on and done amazing things, of current students who had got a gold award at Scouts or who'd done their Duke of Edinburgh or who were playing for the local under 15 team and there they were or had had a piece of artwork in an exhibition and got highly commended. The whole there was a wall of celebration of, if you like, the wider life of a school and it was acknowledging and celebrating what some of these young people were doing out with the school day. And um, actually, as I went round the school, they all the teachers were very positive about that, about getting to know these young people at secondary and engaging with them. And they did encourage clubs and, and societies, but they encouraged them whether or not they were school-based. So if somebody has always been a swimmer. Right. And swimming is their thing. And if if you know anyone who's got a swimmer, a real competitive swimmer in there, as with any sport, I suppose. But, you know, it's early mornings at the pool and training before they come into school and then straight. from Same for dancing, same for football, same for everything. But they they loved this and they worked with it and they gave the students time to go to the international competition or the the whatever, but they celebrated it. And it didn't have to be at the highest level. One boy had got an award. You know, a lot of libraries do these reading things in the summer. Can you read 20 books to get Henry Caterpillar or something? And he'd, he'd done this and he was up there next to a lad who'd won a cup, a trophy, you know, and I just think, I thought that was a super way of acknowledging that the learning of these students is, it also equals, you know, being able to reach a certain level on a computer game or to have a blog hmm. post published or, you know, it's a wider issue, isn't it, folks? You know.
0: Just going on what John said about the, uh, the league tables and it's the state agents thing, is I was thinking back to my daughter's school. What is it I'm thankful for? What is it where I sit there and go, is that a good school? I'm never going to say my daughter got this grade. It wouldn't have got that without that school. I'm going to think of all the opportunities that school gave my daughter. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think of all Mm -hmm. the different things, all the things she was being part of and that's a big thing being part of something yeah, so yeah the end of year six uh, school performance which my uh, youngest didn't mm. get the option to do this year because of covid but they've done a lot of things in that school a lot of school performances um, they had a really ambitious teacher who loved music and really just the things she did with that school and the things they did you literally go oh, i won't be able to do that but I remember being in the hall with 200 children, 200 parents, and basically everyone doing the same dance
1: Wow. To a song. And wow. it was
0: just phenomenal. And it's a small primary school. And I was literally, I can remember that day. That was six, seven years ago that day. Yeah. I remember that day. It's, yeah. it's burned into my heart. You know, my daughter's sat school. I can't even tell you what my daughter got in SATs. Yeah, But what she did, the opportunities, the things she got to, the passion she had that she was able to share and follow in that school. So they did a lovely thing. I know lots of schools do this, but when they did a new topic, we're going to do the Romans. They started off with, what do you know about the Romans? What are you interested in about the Romans? And the children shaped Mm. what they were going to learn about the Romans, which meant there was a much bigger buy-in. They could choose, might not be history, but actually learning about something and just all those different bits opportunities for children to say he's going to work on their SEMH it's just loads of those extra skills are being worked on rather than just rote learning what the curriculum says for accountability
1: yeah I was just going to say I would argue that when a school gets the sense of community right and the sense of ethos and well-being right and the sense of valuing everybody actually the academics come the academics yeah. follow mm. because yeah. because yeah. if you if you make that child feel confident and happy to be part of the school, and there are certain head teachers who are really good at that. Really, I mean there have been again this pandemic has given us some examples of good and bad online learning at home. But I've watched some heads do the most amazing assemblies online. And they've chatted from their back garden. And it's not been like an assembly assembly. It's been about this is where we are and you're fine and reassurance and we're missing you. And there's there's I can give so many examples. There's a head and one of his members of staff at a school in America in Alton, Illinois. And every Friday, the two of them sing a song to their students. And what they do is they change the words to a. When I say famous song, I have to be honest, famous song for them, maybe not for their students, you know, (laughs) but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They stand there. One has a guitar and they sing together and they sing a song to their students. And the message is always the same. We're missing you it's fine, it's going to be fine, you'll be coming back to us soon, we can't wait, you know, whatever they've done as their words, we know you're reading at home. There was one all about keep reading, keep on reading, keep on reading, and they're lovely. So there's some lovely, lovely examples, and I, I I, think that just tells you so much, doesn't it, about a school. When you see these lovely things and you think, yeah, they're getting that well-being right, and that child will feel safe and will feel secure, Do you know what? The learning will happen on top of that. It really does.
0: I think I think one of the things on that video and lots of other things is we've all kind of realized in this in this pandemic that our teachers are humans. They have a house. They have a home. They have things in their home. They have pets. (laughs) And actually we've sat there and we watched these videos in the teachers' homes, which are them going, Oh, I miss you, haven't seen you, and telling you about their life. And you're going. And for some children, that is a huge thing that they mm. can connect their teacher on. They'll see something in the background, very um, stereotypical male. They talk about being I'm a Tottenham fan, or I'm an Arsenal fan, or I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm really happy. It's that stereotypical thing which works for certain people, but doesn't work. But you can often find, as a child, looking into that person's house, looking into that person's life, a connection that makes them feel more human. And when they're saying you're okay and they're doing all right, it's more believable rather than sometimes that slightly less human version at the front of the classroom.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. one thing
0: I hope that people remember to keep that human touch when they're back in the classroom. There's one of the, uh, the things we haven't uh,
2: discussed, which is pertinent to this, was personalised learning. Yeah. Which was uh, another big drive. And I think what you're talking about there, Dale, is actually... Learning being a personal thing. It's, it is about making connections between people. Now, that's not necessarily what personalized learning was. That was quite a, a data-driven thing. But the notion, but if we forget we that and just pick up the phrase, the idea of personalized learning, learning around what that person's interests are, what's, uh, what is about that person's own development, yeah? as opposed to simply, here's the curriculum, here's the timetable, here's what we're going to learn today. And you know, absolutely. I think making it more personal, uh, not only from the point of view of the learner. So, what are you interested in? How do you learn? But also from the point of view of the connection with the teachers, that these are real people. Yeah, these aren't. You know, you don't. uh, Whilst we all have a professional persona, I think there are part of that personal persona is built by uh, restrictions or necessities of the education system that we work within. And I think it can be difficult for teachers to be more personal. And, uh, I, and I think you're right that this current crisis is actually breaking that down. It's breaking lots of boundaries and barriers down. That's one of them. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's often in schools you have the reading, uh, National Book Week or Book Day. we well, well yes, so yes. one. And you always have the teachers dress up as their character or their favourite book, and they bring their favourite book in or they have a thing. It's like suddenly a child realises that their favourite book is the same as their teacher's, and off the conversation flies. And there's a huge interest in that topic. And if you can just capture that, that child who maybe hasn't said anything or doesn't really read, but you then find out that that child's got the same favourite book as you, then there's a whole conversation the whole learning can come from that just by having that familiar topic to them that you can use as part of their learning
1: hmm. yeah connection to engage somebody you have to connect with them and that connection is about hmm. communication and you finding a link and it's the we all do it we all do it if you go out to a networking party this is my idea of hell I have to be honest I uh, John knows I avoid them like the plague but if I have to go to something like that you desperately aren't you seeking to find somebody who's a kind of a a like mind or has something interesting to share and otherwise the whole thing's a nightmare for me
0: oh yes I agree and one thing I just want to touch back on curriculum to me because curriculum is kind of two things to me As you said, with the national curriculum, as you said, John, it's the subjects and what you're going to cover and all that. So one is what you are going to cover, the outcomes. Yeah. The other part of curriculum for me is how you deliver it. So you've got the forest schools, the creative curriculum, all these different ways, and basically that type of curriculum is how you're delivering that national curriculum. How are you getting your children engaged? How are you motivating? How are you inspiring them? So my daughters. Primary school in reception every Friday, they went down to the woods and they did something in the woods. And I, we used to love it. We literally parents used to fight. I used to take morning Friday mornings off work so I could walk down to the woods, have a biscuit, find the fairies in the trees, dress up as pirates, all this stuff on. And then you come back to the classroom, it's like write a story about being a pirate. It's like the kids know what to do. We've just spent the last hour and a half doing it in the woods. So it, it gave them that really, really strong idea and feelings and emotions and how it went. When it oh. comes to writing, writing was easier.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. But I'm I'm now just going to put the counter view that a lot of educators, the position they're in. If you're in the, a school in the middle of a city and you can't yep. go to a beach and you can't go to a forest, and the other thing that, we have to accept is that to do the kind of things we're talking about the excited the creating the personalized you have to have small numbers in your class because you you can't deliver that when you've got 33 34 35 in a class it's not possible to do it in the if you like idealistic way we want it done and i, and I don't think we should stop striving for that ever however I I have to stick up for the, you know, the newly qualified teacher who's got a class of thirty-five and precious little outdoor area. Yes, I think they would love to do stuff like that, but it's how we support those people as well.
0: I generally I don't name names on podcasts. I refer to someone, but there is a, a head teacher. I'm going to respond. Think of which is Mr. Cottrell, who is a local head teacher to me. He was he was deputy head of my daughter's primary, and he was one of those teachers who dreamed and never put a limit on that dream. And as a school they did a trip at the beginning of the year. It was the start of the year. It was a big thing. So 3 weeks after school started in September, even with the brand new reception children, he took us all on a mystery trip. Mm-hmm. The only people who knew where we were going were the governors, the teachers, that was it. So all the kids got on coaches. A load of parents got on coaches. All they got told is, you need to bring swimming stuff. That's all we knew. So we, and they got on the coaches. And we're um, near Reading, Farnborough uh, way. And we got on these coaches. And I was a governor at times, time, so I knew where we were going. And we went off. And we drove around. And everyone was trying to work out where are we going. <laughs> and they took us to the Olympic Park in London. Wow. And... We went swimming in the Olympic pool.
1: Wow. That's fabulous. Yeah, those
0: who could swim, so they spent time working out who could swim and who could go in the full-on Olympic pool. And the rest of the school went in the training thing. Yeah. And I have never seen such a mass, oh, my gosh, counting parents, counting children in that pool <laughs> constantly for yeah. that parent-child ratio and all this lot. And then when we walked out of that swimming pool, do you know who we saw walking in? No. Tom Daly. Oh wow! (laughs) Tom Daly walked in, and oh my gosh, the kids were just went excited. We went off to the copper box, and we went to the velodrome. Yeah. What they didn't know is somebody had a connection, and knew Tom Daly was going to be there, and could get a message to Tom Daly. And then we went back to the school, back to the um, the swimming pool, and we sat and watched Tom Daly train. And this was a bit because they're sitting there and just showing about how Tom Daly learned. So the fact he he did his dive. The moment his head broke the surface, he was looking at the coach to find out how did he do? What did he do wrong? What can he do better? And this was on. And, it, and we watched him train of it. He goes, he just looked up at the school and went, I'll be up there in a minute. And the kids had no idea. And the parents had no idea. And again, it's one of those days, going back to what I said earlier, about that has stuck in my head yeah. forever. Yeah. And I've got a photo of 200 children and the parents surrounding Tom Daly. Tom Daly was speck in the middle, and all these children. And it was an absolutely phenomenal day. And from that moment on, there was a phrase which carried around that school for the next couple of years, which was, What would Tom Daly do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But the the key thing you said, Dale, that's amazing, was that it was the head, the head with a vision, right? So we're back to this. We've said it in several of our podcasts. It's got to come from the top. If you are that NQT, in a class with 35 and no outdoor and no support and and a senior management team who are fighting special measures, let's say, and being held to account, it's really tough. And we have to acknowledge that. It's not impossible. You should never let go of your dream. But, oh, my goodness, if you've got good head, that's just – I love that story. Brilliant.
0: It's its it's, Rob, And it's one of the things, going back to what we said earlier, is if you get that community right, yeah the academic side will come. so it's about sometimes people will go trying to improve the academic stuff just by working on the academic stuff. yeah, let's get rid of everything. We've got to get our academic we've got to get our scores up. actually, if you kind of work on everything else, the academic scores will come. and I think people don't always realize that actually you're not always working on what you're trying to achieve. You could be working on something else, and that will come. Mm-hmm. you are not getting a, a a small improvement just by working on the academics. If you can get everything else on board, that achievement will come, but you'll get so many other imp- improvements from it.
2: Uh-huh. I also, I wanted to pick up on, I think that that's a, a lovely story. And you're right, there are challenges on getting out of school and there's nothing compares to actually being somewhere and seeing something and having that experience. But I do think that technology is able to take us places we couldn't otherwise. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, so recently, both Carolyn and I have done webinars for the TSSEN show. And um, the one I did was about um, blended learning. And what I was suggesting was that, you know, if we use technology, we can provide experiences and we can provide information in different ways. And one of the examples I used was looking at the Coliseum. And we looked at Google Earth and Street View, and we can see the Coliseum. And, you know, in 3D, we can see it from above and around. We can put it in context. and It is superb. But also, if you go on YouTube, you can find video Of virtual reality that puts you at the Colosseum in its pomp, yeah, you know, 2000 years ago. And we can't do that even now. If we visited the Colosseum now, we see this, you know, it's a bit of a wreck. It's had a hard life. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can't, you you think, well, yeah, you know, (laughs) it's impressive. But when you see it decked out, you know, with with awnings and coverings and, you know, the, the, the street vendors and so on, then you actually get a sense of what all the fuss is about.
0: I think when I was at school, it was you had a, you had a drawing and a book of it. And they yeah. go, imagine, yeah. imagine what it's imagine an old age, imagine what that's like 2000 years ago. And you're going, no idea. No yeah. idea.
1: Yeah.
0: No idea. But yeah. actually, um, it's like I love the, um, you, you, in it, back when I was at school, there's a, a picture of a volcano cut inside, showing you all the insides, and it's really hot. Now I can go on YouTube and watch like lava and there's somebody who drops things in front of lava to show you what happens to it. So now I don't have to just go, oh, that's quite hot. I can now see what it does to everyday objects and destroys them and, and mm-hmm. the power of it. and how and Yeah, that will always inspire me when you sit there and you see a tiny little speck of a person on the edge of a volcano yeah. with a lava go. It will always, always be yeah. so much more yeah. going yeah. on, in your head, more invigorating.
1: There's a fabulous website by the Royal Society of Chemistry, which is free. And it's uh, no surprise. It's all about chemistry. But what it does is it provides some amazing videos and it puts everything into the right context. So the periodic table is interactive and you can see videos of the elements and experiments around or where they're used in real life. And it just it but it, it's just the most beautiful website because the the science is sound, but a bit like the Royal Institution lectures that we get at Christmas that brings science to life for for children. This website does it very very well, you know. And let's face it, we're not all we do have a, a well physics teachers are the ones we're desperate for, but chemists are coming a close second. And science specialities in secondary schools we are struggling to find them now. If, you are, if it is your subject, right, you're not just teaching it because there wasn't a teacher to teach that subject. If it's your subject, you've got an enthusiasm for it. You bring it to life. But if you're not that subject specialist, having the ability to use all these other resources, you're going to get excited and you're going to give the right information to your students. So, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it's also about even things that might be, at first, site quite dry and quite dull if you you know if the, the way that you select the resources and yeah. the connections you make around the way you package it can have a big impact on actually uh, the content itself and so in a way you can develop a more broad and balanced cu- curriculum even when you're focusing on quite a small part of it.
1: Absolutely, because I, I I do feel that everybody should have a whatever your now we're talking if you if you're in a subject based situation so we're not really talking EYFS but when things become subjects I think you've got a duty to look at how your subject reaches out and intermingles with other subjects and how it reaches out into life you you've got your purest bit but how does that link with you know if it let's take science again how's that linked with maths or if, you know it, where where's the mathematical need to understand this science so maybe there are students who aren't enjoying math, but they're really loving science so you're saying well yeah but if you want to progress in this you need to have this because this is the two go together this is where they join this is where they're important so i think there's so many ways that we could keep our subject specialities and enthusiasm but spread it out spread it out and, and help it to join up so that kids see the connections it's not just like period one on a thursday and period two on a tuesday that i do this it's like part of my life
0: mm-hmm. yeah. my daughter once said to me i hate maths i don't see the point in it so poor her i love maths uh, so for the next uh, weekend i think it was on the friday so for the whole entire weekend I really made a point out of just pointing out every time we had the opportunity or she used maths that weekend, Uh I just went, that was maths. That was maths. It just literally, I said it so often over that weekend, by Sunday night, she was like, stop. Okay. I get it. (laughs) I get it. I get, I get it. Maths is important. I use, okay. And she got it. It was just like, we go to shop. Well, I've only got a tenner. I want that and that. Have we got enough money? No, that was maths. And it just yeah. went on, and it saw the purpose. And I think sometimes when you learn a subject within, the, with only within the context of that subject, as you were saying, Carol, you can find it quite dry and boring. It's that those links. Yeah. But also another way of making it is, and I went to a conference years ago, and this is more aimed, I think, at a sort of secondary school or when you have those. Is if you are the uh, leader of a history, what have you done in the world of history in the last year? Yeah. Mm. What museums have you been to? What have you yeah. been to an archaeologist? Have you been somewhere which and use your own experiences to inspire your children? Again, it's letting that you become more human. Yeah, you have interest and you're sharing it with them.
1: And there are loads of passionate teachers like that. You just need to go on Twitter, and you know. The, in particular, I'm going to pick one example. There's a big group of teachers and head teachers on Twitter, who are extolling the virtues of different children's literature at the moment. And there's one subgroup for just picture book. You know, no words, just picture book. There's a subgroup that discuss the merits of those, and you can see their passion and their and their interest. Now, oh, I found this one, and it does this, and it does this, and then the others all buy it. And I just think, how lovely to be in that class, you know, the next day because somebody has found something so amazing. They're telling all their, their, their colleagues, online colleagues, and you just know they're going to go and deliver it, and the kids are going to win. I, I, I'm i so inspired by some of the discussions I see on Twitter. I lurk around and listen.
0: But you see, just by you telling that story, Karen, it's made me smile. Mm-hmm. so if my teacher has that passion in the classroom i'm going to smile and i'm going to listen
1: yeah 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 and
0: i think it comes we've i'm looking at the list of things and it is that being more human that personalized and it is that personalized as much as the children as much as you isn't it yeah it's it's how how can you deliver it? you said that john is how am i going to deliver mm-hmm. this and it is it's all about taking that dry topic thinking about your children thinking about you. How can I make that engagement? With the the engagement model, which was released early this year, which I'm not a fan of, that's another thing, the approach, the idea of children's engagement, the more children are engaged, the more it was making more progress towards their outcomes, is kind of obvious. Yeah. So it's how do you get your children engaged? And a school in the one place, as you said, with limited space, that is going to be a different challenge to a teacher on the Isle of Lewis with 20 children from year one to year six. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's that's your role as a teacher is how can I get these engaged? And it's not yeah. always going to be easy. No. Mm. You won't get it right the first time, but it's it's your, over time you'll work out what suits you, what suits your children.
1: And, and that's what you've said there is really important. That when I was a young teacher, I taught English and drama in a secondary school. There was a very famous drama teacher called Dorothy Heathcote And we didn't have YouTube and we didn't, so you had to either read her book or go to one of her courses. And I remember going to two of her courses. I was lucky enough to get sent on two. And on the first one, she had brought groups of students in for us to work with, but she worked with them first. And all I can say is that this woman wove magic. She had the children that she'd never met before. Just following her eye blinks and everything. There was there was hardly any language used. She was incredible working with children, and I watched this, and then we all failed badly trying to do similar, in in the practical bit. And then I and, and I bought her book, and I went home and I read the book, and then I came back to the second session, and it was like a blinding realization. What I was trying to do was to, I was trying to be her, and I couldn't be her. Her her magic. Teaching emanated from within her, her passion, her years of experience. I was a young teacher; I didn't have all of that, and I wasn't Dorothy Heathcote. I had to find me as a teacher, and I had to find. And yes, obviously, I use some of her strategies because that's what we do—we magpie. But I am not Dorothy Heathcote when I teach, and and you have to accept that, don't you? You just you find your own way to to work and connect.
0: And I'm sure John will agree on me on this one. There is only one Carol Allen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's probably just as well.
2: (laughs) Probably is. Yeah. I don't know. There's room for more. But uh, one of the, sorry, picking up on what Carol was there, I think one of the, the the point I'd take of that is about authenticity.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And one of the things I I think in making connection and engagement and personalising learning is actually about children trusting teachers with what's being learned because yes. yeah. learning is actually a very, very risky activity. Yeah. Because you there there is part of it, you, you may actually fail at what's being learned or it may not be your thing. And you've got to invest your person in this learning activity. You, you've got to open yourself up and be exposed and actually, you know, face up to challenge and assessment. And you don't know what success necessarily is. And you don't necessarily, because it's it's new to you, that's why you're being taught it, you don't know whether this is a thing that's actually worth knowing in the first place. And so you have to be able to trust the teacher, that what the the, the teacher's going to be able to hold you, contain you, and, and take you safely in through this risky process. And if it's a process wherein actually whatever is deemed success ultimately is not yours that the teacher is able to hold you, contain you, and help you be resilient and bounce back from that. And even if it is a thing that is not necessarily going to equip you for life, it's a thing that is going to be at the very least interesting and that the journey itself will be one that you enjoy,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: even if it's yeah. not necessarily going to uh, bring about I don't know a, a whole new way of life. A little example is that when I was at secondary school, we did. I, I remember doing something about Danish farming methods. There's flat land in Denmark, and I seem to remember for this reason they had barns where the the family were above it and the animals were below it, so that the water could rise. I think it was Denmark. Might have been Holland. Anyway, but but that's what I remember of it. And I, I've never particularly found it found that information useful, except as an illustration for things that I know that isn't aren't necessarily useful. And I think there's quite a lot of that in the curriculum. but so, so, you know, teachers, a lot of the time, are having to put children in situations where they don't necessarily know if the situation is going to be a thing that's going to be purposeful or useful for them.
0: I think you're fine, John. I, I found past progressive tense very useful.
1: Ah. Me? I'm a, I'm a big fan
0: of
2: Pythagoras. Uh. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I can do Pythagoras, yeah. A little bit of woodworking, a little bit of decorating. Yeah.
1: I do neither. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's the thing. Certain skills I almost get when I was at school, I'd go, I don't see the point of this. But there are certain skills I've used in my life. Yeah. that I've, gotten, oh, yeah. I've learned more about that. Yeah. But there's yeah. a load of stuff I've learned. I've gone a really, really fire of London. Yeah. hasn't had a big impact on me in my life up till now.
2: No, no. But then this is our broad and balanced curriculum. Yes. Yeah. Danish farming methods. The Tower, of the fire of London. And,
1: and because it might it might not have impacted on you, but there could have been others in your class who now are historians studying that period. You know, it's yeah. it yeah. that's what broad and balanced is about. It's it's opening windows of opportunity, and you know saying look all this is there you, you this this is interesting this is interesting some people will go through and follow those windows of opportunity and some people will just remember them maybe and some people will forget them completely it doesn't you know it's 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 about yeah, yeah. it's about not saying right here this is my age it's about not saying girls can't do woodwork and metalwork they have to do cooking and sewing Right. And that's my age showing there. Those were the four things. Woodwork, metalwork, cooking, sewing. The boys weren't allowed to come and do our two. We weren't allowed to opt for these. That's great. Nowadays, we wouldn't have we, we you know, everybody does everything, don't they? In a balanced yeah. thing. And and we can't limit opportunities, whether or not you follow them later.
2: But the other thing it's an illustration of is the, the difference between Content and, and process, the skills of learning and the content that you yeah, learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, So I don't know. So I know something about Danish farming methods, but I think I learned them from reading through a book and then drawing pictures and writing about them. Yeah. Now, those are skills I already had at the time because they are the skills that I probably picked up at uh, you know, reception level and, and carried through. But were there other ways of learning about Danish farming methods? Could I have interviewed a Danish farmer, for instance? Yeah, or, or visited through virtual reality. One of those barns with the two levels, with the lower level where the animals were kept and the upper level where the, the families lived. Yeah, and I think that, that is a, an ongoing discussion that we've had over the years. And the current national curriculum is much more about content than processes. It was, a, I, I listened to a guy from Reuters one time and he referred to there being two types of knowledge. There is just-in-case knowledge and just-in-time So just in case would be, you happen to meet a Danish farmer, yeah? And uh, so you need something to talk about. Just in time is where you you pull your mobile out and you look up farming in Denmark. And, uh, you know, it it, it takes you on from there, yeah? For me, the more important one is knowing knowing how to know rather than actually knowing everything there is to know. I think that there are things that it is important to know. Like, for instance, I do think it's useful to have a sense of history. I don't think you necessarily need to know all the kings and queens of England in order, but I do think you need to have a sense that there were the Normans, that there was a medieval period, the Tudors, the Stuarts, and so on. Yeah, So I think you need to have a sense of it without necessarily having the detail. But I do think knowing how to know is more important than necessarily knowing stuff itself, pub quiz knowledge.
0: I think stuff like uh, history topics, there should be a bit more choice. So rather than saying year three covers this, year four cover this, year five cover this, is you probably find that the history they could study in York compared to the history they'll study in Liverpool,
1: yeah,
0: could be completely different, and it should be completely different because what you do in studying in Liverpool history, you can study all that history of what happened in Liverpool, which would be so much more interesting to those children, and the same in York, <laughs> where actually having to learn about it's that's me.
1: Can I just say the downside of that? I'm from a family that travelled as as a child. I we travelled internationally, in fact. So I I started my education in UK, then the next bit of my education was in Canada, and then it was UK again. Then you know, I mean, we we moved, and and we moved within the UK as well. So if I started learning, for example, the history in Southampton, but that ended up in Newcastle where we've got the Roman Wall and everything, you are disadvantaged. An awful lot of curriculum does say local area, local history. And then yeah. if you assess me on that, and I've just come from somewhere else, it, there's an issue. So I, I, I totally agree with using yeah. what we've got, but we have to remember that not all children grow up in one place.
0: Some of us grew up in Croydon where nothing interesting happened.
1: <laughs> I'm sure something happened in Croydon. <laughs> There's bound to be something in Croydon. But, you know, this is what we're talking about. Broad and balanced is about that, an offering, an opportunity, and, and not limiting. It, because you live in Croydon, because you live in Newcastle, because you live in, I don't know, Surrey, it, you, you should be given opportunities to learn and to learn about a range of stuff, I, I feel yeah whether or not you have disability or barrier to learning
0: to me that shouldn't even enter into it no but no you should be able to for every child almost say what is what is right for that child in year 10 we kind of do that already because you can choose your subjects you have your options you're choosing what's right for those sometimes other areas are going to be more important hmm
1: but sometimes sometimes the choices are controlled sometimes yes. it's sometimes yep. you have to choose from columns and 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 that's to this day because it happened to me but it does still happen so you have to cho- you can't shoot not having this you can't not have maths that's those columns done but then for example yep. you have to choose from i don't know one from each column or two from each column and if let's say history is your thing but let's say you want to do a modern foreign language, and history is only in the modern foreign language column. You've got a problem, haven't you?
2: Yep. Yeah, And particularly with the EBAC, and you know, with only certain subjects um, scoring as part of the EBAC. Yeah, that there are you know subjects. Well, it's part of this discussion all the way through, isn't it? Is actually that some subjects have a higher
0: value placed on them
2: than others. Yeah
0: um it's interesting there's, um there's been a review in scotland looking at their qualifications for special needs and one of the interesting things is the way they phrase it which i thought was really quite interesting is although there are qualifications so yeah um, if you know scotland you've got the sqa national ones
1: yeah
0: they are not celebrated in the same way as other qualifications so it's more and they talk about nationally celebrated qualifications for all abilities was kind of the thing and I was like that's a really interesting point and it is that all children and interesting in scotland i didn't know this when i was working with school this year is whether you're doing sqa national one two three or four any child of any ability can get an sqa national one and what i didn't realize which i like about it is you get your sqa national one results the same day as you get your gcse results
1: that's good that's
0: good. So you still get that anxiety, that yeah. But you still go get to find your results just like everyone else, and get your certificate and feel really happy. And I've what I love that. Yeah, I like that I very
1: really much. Like that. Yeah, that's simple management. That's management inclusion. That's
0: nice. Yeah, but that is a whole across the whole of Scotland. So. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: So um, I really like that. But, yeah, it's interesting to see what Scotland are doing because they're looking at more about um, the wider skills for children. They're doing lots of stuff. And it is that challenge in a special school where you could adjust your curriculum and make time for different areas, like actually being able to go down to the shops and spend some real money to see how that happens. My mum used to take children down to a bus stop to the right of the school, yeah, get on yeah. the bus, and pays. Yeah, they go one bus stop to the left of the school and get off again. Yeah. but they had that experience and you in a special school you have that flexibility you've got that those opportunities to develop what that looks like in your school there's a school up in teesside who in their playground have the various different types of crossing they literally go into playground there's traffic lights there's zebra crossings in their playground
1: it's um beacon hill school in north tyneside and they've also got a metro station yes and they've got a metro train, so you go. You can go into their station. You can um, you can buy a ticket, and then you can go sit on a metro train. So they can learn all the skills, all the taxis, all the cars. When you go in, you have to obey the traffic lights and the yes. and the thing. It's Beacon Hill. It was a a very 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 good head, Helen. It's
0: phenomenal.
1: Yeah, I can't remember her second name, but it's still there. And they also developed travel curriculum around it. So there's a lovely travel curriculum involved in it as well. It's up the road from where I'm sitting now.
0: I was thinking that. it's, But it is. When you go to that school, it's phenomenal. You see it all and it's great and that's in their curriculum. But when you're that mainstream secondary, when you're that mainstream primary and you come back to this accountability, being able to do things like that for the children who need it is so much harder because you've got to get that senior leaders on board. You've got to get that lead from the top, but they're being pressured. They're being judged. It just I do find that there needs to be some accountability for children with special needs and that broadening, I think, for it to really start to change. Do you know, the
1: three of us would like to change the world, wouldn't we? Oh, well, I'd keep a lot of the good bits and, I'd, and then I'd change some of the bits.
2: It's much more than just three of us. The vast majority of the teaching profession would.
1: Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes.
2: You know, I think you you go into teaching with wanting to change the world, and believing yeah. that you know the education system needs reforming, and it's not the best way to teach kids. And yet you begin to comply, you know, because of systemic pressures, and um, you know you just you just find that you you, you know, the machine forms you into its way of working, uh, and you begin to become part of that
1: machine. Yeah
0: yeah the one message you know got those get uh, those those lovely quotes on a background on facebook or twitter someone posts it's one i always i always love and it's one which i think you've just got to always keep hold of is you may not be able to change the world but you can change the world for one person
1: yeah
0: if some if i could do that if i could change the one world for one person i'd, I'd be happy mm-hmm. yeah i think that's all you got to do you can do your bit have your beliefs fight your corner. Do your bit. And I think you can impact a lot of people. I hope so. And some of the things I've heard, so from we've done the parent talk recently and I've had feedback from one of the speakers where one of the parents got in touch and it's made a difference to them. Mm. And just hearing that is just phenomenal that actually doing things like this can make differences to teachers, to parents, and to children.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. If we can change a few things, hopefully we'll start a snowball. Probably won't.
1: Well, I think you do doing a, ver- a very good thing, Dale. I think you're doing a very good thing.
2: It reminds me of that bumper sticker, which was, if you can read this, thank a teacher. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, teachers do change the world. Te- teachers do change people's lives. They do. But I don't know how well that's recognised. Anyway.
0: I went on... Um... A couple of years ago, another another tangent, went to um, Disney. And they're always very patriotic in the army. And We went to one show and they did a speaker. If you're in the armed services or you have been, please stand up. And all well, various age people stood up and everyone gave a big round of applause. And you, and you see the way they treat their veterans. So you'll see someone with some cap on with the name of the ship they're on. And he's in his 70s. And some young person will just walk up to him, shake his hand and say, thank you. So I've seen that all all the time I was in there, and I thought, that is amazing. That's real nice respect and thank you. And we went to another show, and they said, right, so if you're a teacher, if you are shaping the future of this country, if you are educating anywhere, please stand up. And then they all said a big thank you to the teachers. I thought, that's nice.
1: Yeah, it is nice.
0: Saying thank you to all these people who do so much, reach into their own pockets, give so much of their time, the future of this country
1: yeah
0: it's phenomenal and another quote I always remember hearing and I definitely think when I was in primary school this holds so much truth you are preparing children for a job that does not exist hmm. so in 1988 job podcast host
1: <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> that ain't ha- that didn't know so where are the children current primary children where are they going to be what job will they be doing We can't yeah. prepare them. You do yeah. your best. You give them a yeah. range of experiences, a range of skills, hopefully get them showing interest in things, and they follow those interests. Yeah. That's all we can really hope in reality. Sometimes, sometimes qualifications mean something. Sometimes they don't. It depends where they're going.
2: So I'm sorry if it's a bit of a downer, but you think we're preparing the influences of the future?
0: Yes. The next Kardashian could be listening. Oh, okay. Let's hope so. I didn't, say, I didn't say they're always good influencers. They are. Yeah. Good yeah. But yeah, no, you have no idea. Um, and I think it is, I think a lot of teachers I see and some of the teachers who my children have had have kind of taught my children to be a bit more fearless. Mm. Yeah. And not yeah. let things hold them back. Yeah. And one of those people who spoke at my daughter's school, who I've now, I mean, I said I couldn't go there, but I've since met him, is Dean Beadle.
1: I love Dean Beadle. Have you had him on to do a podcast?
0: Not yet. I met him last year's TESSEN show and had...
1: Yeah, he's a good friend of mine. You must... It, we, uh, please, can I come on if you're having Dean? Can we do it? it the, yes. and uh, yes. and let him sing at the end, please? Possibly. He loves to sing, but he's, he's witty, he's funny, he's articulate. Yeah. Have you watched his, his COVID, his recent COVID? He's doing, like, daily Facebook Lives about the COVID thing that have just got me creasing in tears. His sense of humour is incredible. I've been friends with Dean for many, many years since we both spoke at a, a conference in Wales, and he's just delightful. He
0: is. He's just phenomenal. Um, and it is, my children have seen him, they've talked to him, they've talked to, from that um, Olympic trip yeah. I went to, the Paralympians in, we had mm-hmm. Olympians into the school who came along and just inspired and said, you might not be great at that or you might not be good, but you might not know what your future is. You might not know when something, you just have no idea. What for Be interested in things, be inspired, go chase your dreams, don't give up. Yeah. Well. Cool. This has been a long one. So we're going to wrap up. So last words carol any last words or
1: yeah always 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 got words broad and balanced curriculum it's what we need to offer it so I, i'm going to change the word and say curriculum of opportunities based on health well-being happiness engagement with with learning but it's a curriculum of opportunities for me you don't know where they're going to lead you can't predict which child is going to you know be amazing at certain things there there are talents we see in young children and we see them in you know then develop but you know what they could go in a completely different route when they're older so it, it, don't funnel it down don't narrow it and just because a child has additional needs doesn't mean they can't do phenomenal things. So that's, to me, is why broadened balance is important.
0: Yeah. I like that.
1: I've really yeah. like written that down the
0: curriculum of opportunities.
2: Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think one of the things we do in schools is we, is we look for final outcomes. So we have you know terminal exams, and we refer to them as terminal exams, Year 11, Year 13. What you get from school is that sheaf of qualifications that you take away with you or don't. When in reality, what you get from school is a sense of what, what might be possible. And I think Carol's absolutely right. It should be about opening a window and letting kids see into the future of where they might go. And, and what we're doing is, is providing the, well, the wherewithal to get set out on that path. And some of it is about those pieces of paper, but that's only a very small bit of it. A much bigger bit of it is about, you know, who you are and how you feel and how you work with it, with, with other people, how you perceive the world and yourself. And, uh, you know, that that for me is what the curriculum is. It's about helping that child become that adult and taking the opportunities that, that, that come their way. Yeah.
0: Nice. I might even rename the podcast, Carol, to uh, Curriculum of Opportunities. Feel free. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I quite like that. When I explain I that is It is. It is that as many opportunities as you can. And it's like fishing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: The more opportunities there are, the more you're going to catch something which would interest them.
1: Yeah.
0: Only more interesting than fishing.
1: Oh, hey, yes. I like fishing. <laughs>
2: yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: There's room for us all in the world, and that but that's the point. there's
0: room for us yes. all in the world. that is the point, John, yeah, yeah, oh yes, I quite agree, yeah, so a big thank you to you, John, and you, Carol, for coming on the uh, show today. I've written a few things down, so I'll be putting some links in the podcast show notes, so I've written a few Nessie and Alexia being to the ones I've remembered so far. And you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesencast.com. They're often in the uh, usual places as well, but they're not always fully there. So, big thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesencast.com. You can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date with the latest news and to be told about latest releases. You can find us on all the social media channels. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast. On Instagram, The Sendcast. Or on LinkedIn, just search for Sendcast. If you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics, or anything else, request songs from Dean Beadle, please send an email to hello at sendcast.com. And if you've enjoyed The Sendcast, please look into the virtual Send conference. It's it's run by us here at B-Squared, like the podcast. We've looked at what works, what doesn't work with conferences, and done something else. So it's a conference you access over the internet. We run it twice a year, in March, November, but you do not have to wait because you can always buy tickets to previous events. And at each event, we have 12 high-value sessions to help, designed to help schools and children with SEND, and the cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. And as a listener to the Sendcast, we're offering you a 10% discount just by using the code sendcast 10 We've also recently launched Parent Talks, which is the same sort of approach. It's a series of 12 pre-recorded online talks aimed to support parents and carers of children with SEND to help improve their knowledge, support and guidance. For Parent Talks, the tickets are only £10 each and you can watch the content when you like as much as you like. To find out more about Virtual Send Conference, go to www.virtualsendconference.com. And if you're interested in the parent talks, it's www.virtualsendconference.com forward slash parents. So thank you for me. Thank you for listening to the show. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me.
1: Goodbye from Carol.
0: And goodbye from John. Goodbye.